Welcome back to the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. My name is Michael and I am your host. Let's see, today, I'll put it this way. We are very lucky here in Arizona to have a number of hardworking, dedicated conservation organizations. Uh, you know, these are nonprofits. These are folks volunteering their time uh, for the betterment of, of Arizona's wildlife, habitat, public lands. Um, so a lot of these uh, groups are also affiliates. Um, so I guess that's kind of like official partners of the Arizona Wildlife Federation. So one thing I like to do on our podcast here is highlight these organizations. So from time to time, we'll have what, what I call an affiliate spotlight. So that's a show dedicated to one of our affiliates uh, that highlights all the good work they do. Um, and it, it allows you as a listener to make informed decisions on, on what conservation organizations you want to be most involved with and support. So that's the idea here. And today, today we have Trout Unlimited. Trout Unlimited is probably one of our closest working partners. You'll hear all about that in the show. Um, I, I'm a big fan of them. I consider them very uh, pragmatic uh, and balanced. And, and for me, that, that's very important in conservation. Uh, conservation is, is not a partisan thing. Um, and it, it's for everybody. Uh, all, all of this, these wonderful natural resources belong to all of us. And it's, it's all of our jobs to take care of them. So I hope you enjoy the show with Trout Unlimited. I hope you learn a lot. I certainly enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, that, that organization is absolutely worthy of your attention. So, so please listen. Uh, before we get to that, let's go over some of these volunteer and event opportunities from other great conservation organizations in our state. All right. First off from us here at Arizona Wildlife Federation. I want you to please mark your calendars for this and come down and say hello. On February 20th, we are going to be holding our annual camo at the Capitol event. So come on down to the Capitol lawn uh, on February 20th. Again, that's President's Day, so no excuses. You're not at work uh, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. It is that this event is our opportunity to come together as sporting organizations that care about our wildlife and wild places and you know, show ourselves as a united front uh, to our state legislators. Uh, it's an opportunity to shake hands with our decision makers, uh, talk to them about our issues and our values. And we also, a lot of us, will come down with a wild game dish um, to share and uh, feed our legislators lunch. So it's a great way to make a connection with our decision makers. Um, and it's a very important event. And it is a virtual who's who of sporting and conservation organizations in the state of Arizona. So it's an opportunity for you to come down, shake hands, uh, network with some of the most dedicated, hardworking conservationists in Arizona. I would love to see you there. Uh, if you do make it down, please come by and say hello to me. I will be at the Arizona Wildlife Federation table. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a great event. So mark your calendars. Please don't miss that. And uh, I'm sure I'll be reminding you about it again. Then, from our guest today, Trout Unlimited, um, they have Salt River Saturdays. Coffee, camaraderie, camaraderie cleanup, and fishing. That's every Saturday um, down on the Salt River. 
Uh, let's see. I'll have a link to more details about that in the show notes. Um, but it's a good time. I wish I was closer. I'd love to go down there and hang out with those guys. These are sponsored by different clubs. I believe this next one coming up on February 4th is sponsored by the Arizona Flycasters. Um, and these are every Saturday on through April. So if you can't make it this Saturday, uh, you'll have plenty more opportunities. So get down there, catch some trout, hang out with some cool guys and pick up some trash. Then again, from Arizona Flycasters. Uh, they have their Wednesdays casting meetup at Roadrunner Park off of 51 and Cactus. That's at 10 a.m. every every Wednesday. Uh, another good opportunity to get out there and talk shop with some other fly fishermen. Uh, if you're new to fly fishing, great opportunity to go down there and get some practice fly casting from some experts. Then Arizona Elk Society, they are in need of cooks. Um, Arizona Elk Society is a dynamic organization who always has events going on and they need volunteers. They need help. Um, so if you fancy yourself okay in the kitchen, they, uh, they could use your help. Uh, let's see, I'm going to read this to you. It says, as the new year begins, the Arizona Elk Society is preparing for a busy 2023. I don't think they're kidding there. Uh, full of events, Arizona Elk Society is always in need of more volunteer cooks and kitchen help at events like Habitat Projects, Youth Camps, Disabled Veteran Hunts, and more. So let's see, I will have a link uh, to where you can get signed up and, and see a, a more complete list of their 2023 events below. Then, from Southern Arizona Quail Forever, forever. sorry I'm tripping over my words today, um, their banquet is coming up on February 4th. These banquets are a fun way to support these conservation organizations. So I'll have a link below where you can buy a ticket and go join in the fun. And I believe they're having a prime rib dinner. Then again, Arizona, Southern Arizona quail forever. Their family day is coming up and this is Saturday, March 4th. Uh, this is going to be a, a big one and it's going to be a lot of fun. Activities include trap shooting, archery, BB gun range, fly fishing, fly tying info, GPS instruction, animal footprint ID, live bird demonstrations, bird cleaning, uh, police dog demo, falconry, and free breakfast and lunch. No fee, all ages welcome. This is going to be down in Sonoida, Arizona. Again, that's March 4th, and I will have uh, a link to where you can get more details below. With that, I hope you enjoy this show with the uh, Trout Unlimited. Again, a very, very valued partner of ours, um, and they are doing good work not only here in Arizona, but all across our great nation for cold water fisheries and fishes. Enjoy, and I'll see you after the show. All right, we're going. Welcome, gentlemen. Uh, I am I am sitting here uh, today in the home of Jim Walker of Trout Unlimited. I got him and Nate Reese here. Uh, I will say that Trout Unlimited is probably one of our most valued affiliates. Uh, we work a lot with. So uh, today's today's episode is all about getting to know Trout Unlimited and uh, the work these gentlemen and their colleagues do. So let, let's start with some introductions. Uh, Jim, let's start with you. Uh, tell us where you're from maybe how you got here, how you got involved with Trout Unlimited and, and kind of your history with the organization. Well, let's see. Uh, I started in the uh, Carlisle, Pennsylvania with Trout Unlimited. And uh, I started back in 1989, way back in the 1900s. Mm -hmm. So I've been about, involved about 33 years. And uh, 
I came from north central Pennsylvania where there was a lot of strip mining. So there was a lot of acid mine drainage. And I decided, you know, four miles away from where I lived and grew up with nothing but an orange river. And I decided when I moved down to southern Pennsylvania to see if I could help out. And I learned about this organization called Trout Unlimited. So I've been very involved in Pennsylvania. And I've moved from Pennsylvania to Ohio, to Indiana, to Kansas City a couple of times. And now my wife and I moved here in 2003. So I've been involved with Trout Unlimited for a long time in many different roles. But uh, the whole thing has been a passion about making sure the water is clear, cold, and mm-hmm. drinkable and fishable. Yeah. And how, how much did, did fly fishing play a role in your interest in Trout Unlimited? Was that was that a driving a, force or was it more just conservation? Probably at the very beginning, it probably was not. It was a matter of just uh, protecting the water. And then I, was, I decided that uh, fly fishing was something that I ought to get interested in, and I did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it grew into a passion along with thousands of other people. So Right. All right, Nathan, your turn. Yeah, well, thanks, Michael. And thanks for having Jim and I here today. Uh, my name is Nathan Reese. Yeah. I and the national staff here in Arizona for Trout Unlimited and their public lands coordinator. I've been with uh, TU for about six years now. And like Michael mentioned earlier, get to work on all sorts of fun stuff together with AWF. We partner on a lot of great initiatives. Uh, but TU is an organization that I am so lucky to be a part of. It gives me an, an opportunity to, to work in an industry that you know I've been passionate about since childhood. And doing something meaningful day to day is just really rewarding. So uh, Trout Unlimited is a great fit for me and, and uh, working with people like Jim Walker is just a blessing. Yeah. You know, on the national level, we're a a cold water conservation organization. We're about 350,000 members nationwide with roughly 350 staff nationwide. So we are growing exponentially each year and uh, focused here in Arizona primarily on cold water conservation of our you know, streams, uh, public land access, and all sorts of uh, federal and state land conservation legislation. Okay. So that, that's good. That gives us kind of a general overview of, of who, who Trout Unlimited is and, and what they work on. Jim, can you speak to maybe some of the history of the organization? Sure. Uh, Michael, uh, in 1959, some people in Michigan decided that they were going to go ahead and uh, find a way to protect the rivers and streams in the state of Michigan. And it grew from 1959 to the organization we have today, which is about, as Nate said, supporters and members of about 350,000. On the national level, we have about 400 plus chapters in 36 different states. And I'm very involved with the uh, national organization as well. And uh, our role at the national level is to help the uh, chapters and the councils of each of the states to do the work that needs to be done to help protect and keep the wild and native fish, uh, as Nate said earlier, mm-hmm. uh, very protected. Awesome. That's awesome. Um, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I've, I, I'm particularly a fan of, of Trout Unlimited um, and have been for a long time. Uh, it was one of the first sporting organizations that kind of grabbed my attention. Uh, and I think one of the reasons is, and this is this is coming from me, and hell, I don't even know if it's accurate. It's just how I see the world, I guess. But I, I think of uh, Child Unlimited much much like I think of Arizona Wildlife Federation is kind of a kind of a passionate or progressive middle, uh, very science based, very balanced, um, and uh, you know. But I, but I say progressive because we do want to see we we want to see progress. We we want to see our, our rivers and streams protected. We want to see clean water. We want to see healthy native wild fish populations. But, uh, so I, have always been attracted to the organization and, uh, yeah, I'm happy to be sitting here with you guys today talking about it. 
So let's see. Can you can you explain to me? You know, we we have National Trout Unlimited, uh, and then we have the different state chapters. And correct me if I'm wrong here, because I might be. But then you have various regional chapters as well. No, just uh, four state chapters here in Arizona. And okay. one overarching council. Maybe Jim can speak okay. a little more yeah, to the that's, structure. That's kind of that. what I meant by state chapter. And then you have like Zane Gray, Grand Canyon. Yeah, uh, Old Pueblo, Gila chapter. Okay. Yeah, those are the four in Arizona. Okay. And they're break up kind of regionally across the state. Tucson, Phoenix, uh, Flagstaff, Payson, that sort of thing. Yeah, Dad, the one they just said, uh, we have the Old Pueblo chapter, which is down in Tucson. Mm-hmm. Zane Gray chapter here in Phoenix. And we have the... Uh, Gila Trout chapter, which is up in Payson, and of course we have the Grand Canyon chapter up in Flagstaff. So it's regional kind of concept. And each of those chapters kind of endear themselves into certain projects in that particular region, but then we all come together and address issues on an Arizona-wide basis. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So uh, regarding like some of the programs, I know a popular one or one that I hear often about is, is Trout in the Classroom. Um, can, you, can you give me an overview of what that looks like? Um, and, and also, you know, how folks can get involved with that if they're interested in any other programs that, that are interesting that, that DU is working on. Well, as Nate knows, John, the classroom is dear and dear to my heart. So what we would do is we would come to you, Michael, and say, guess what? You're a fifth grade teacher and we'll take and put a 55 gallon aquarium in your classroom and they will come and be a volunteer to help you get that all set up. And oh, by the way, did we mention it's free? Oh, wow. So it's about $1,500 of investment we give to you. Mm-hmm. And then what Nate will do, he'll help you get it all set up. And then probably in the October timeframe, he'll make plans with myself and several others. The Arizona Game and Fish will bring 100 rainbow trout eggs in a Ziploc bag to your school. Wow. And you and the students, I should say the students raise the eggs into fish from the October through the end of the school year in May. Mm-hmm. So what's the intent is we actually try to connect students to the watersheds. Yeah. We have them think about the fact that, you know, uh, water is very important. It has to be very clean. In fact, we use a a saying that says, um, if we can't drink it, they can't live in it. Right. If they can't live in it, we can't drink it. So, Mm -hmm. again, we need to make sure that. So what happens then is the teacher ensures that the students are the ones who do the work. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, the students do the pH water testing. They do the temperature level every day. And they do, so they STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. We've added an RN for recreation, A in for art. We call it STREAM here in Arizona. Uh huh. So the opportunity then is for the kids, students, to understand what it takes to, for a fish, for an egg to grow and to be a fish. And mm-hmm. then from that point in time, what does it take for a fish to live in an air-conditioned, heated environment protected away from individuals or people or animals that are mm-hmm. going to take care of them. Yeah. Not take care of them. So anyway, yeah. So that's, that's a little bit about the program. And we find we have about 40 schools throughout the state of Arizona who are involved in a program. And Nate's been one of our volunteers who's helped teachers get set up as well as deliver the eggs. Right. So Nate. Yeah. And I know if, uh, if anyone listening is interested, Jim's always looking for volunteers. And just speaking from experience, it's a lot of fun to go into these classrooms. Uh, mm-hmm. The kids, you know, any sort of tank in a classroom, kids just gravitate towards. And this is no different. Seeing the trout eggs, um, you can see the little eyeballs of the trout moving around inside the egg. And then, you know, they'll eventually morph into fingerlings and grow, you know, three, four inches long before the end of the year's up. But uh, 
getting engaged in the classroom is just really fun for volunteers. And you don't have to be a you know, chemist to understand yeah. uh, how to take care of a tank or answer questions for teachers. So uh, it's really a great opportunity to get involved if, if this seems like something that's up your alley. Yeah. Boy, I would have loved that when I was a kid. I, I bet they just eat it up. I mean, I, I should really... I, I should talk to my little boy's teacher about this. He, he's got uh, my ten-year-old's got the coolest teacher a ten-year-old could ever ask for. He, uh, they, but they all just finished reading the hatchet, and the project over fall break was to build a bow out of all natural materials and an arrow. Yes. And then they all take them back, and they have a little competition with them, which I'm very proud to say my boy won <laughs> this year. But um, yeah, he would he would be all over that. When we provide a curriculum, besides all the equipment, like Jim mentioned, mm-hmm. you provide a, a curriculum. Uh, all sorts of online resources, volunteers. Yeah. So it's kind of the whole package. All right. what, what's the age group that you're looking at here? So the so the best uh, area is probably the ages uh, or grades, I should say, between four and seven, four, mm-hmm. fourth and seventh grades. Uh, we've had a couple younger, we've had a couple older, but that seems to be the sweet spot. And as Nate said, uh, once you uh, get a person say, hey, I think I may be interested, all you have to do is take them one time, Michael. Mm-hmm into a classroom and watch the kids levitate about 12 inches off the seat when those eggs arrive. Oh, wow. Right? And <laughs> it's amazing. Um, you can find a uh, video. It's about three and a half minute video on our website for Trotton Classroom. It's called www.aztic.org. That's www.aztic.org. Mm-hmm. And it's on our website uh, on the bottom of the first landing page. And it's amazing to watch the artwork that if you think about a rainbow trout, I never saw a rainbow trout in so many different colors, <laughs> but yeah, but it's great. Wow. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. So I, I guess that kind of, uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll mention it, it fascinates me, you know, cause I'm, I'm always pushing back against my kids getting video games. It's like kind of a, a quarrel my wife and ha- I have not that she wants them on them all the time, but she's just more moderate than I am. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, Edward O. Wilson's, uh, you know, a, a late, uh, famous ecologist, he, uh, he coined the term, uh, was biophilia that, you know, if, if you take a, a room of children and they're all playing video games and you go in and you put a puppy or a frog or something of that, some animal on that table, there's not a kid in the room that's going to be looking at a screen. Um, and I think that stands true today. And I think it's just a wonderful thing. Yeah, thanks, Michael. And, and we got to give a shout out to the Arizona Game and Fish Department. They're an incredible partner with this, yeah. and they supply the eggs every year. And uh, yeah. you know, we couldn't do it without them. That's yeah. All. Of course, one of the other things for the grown-ups, then we have the national or the Arizona Native and Wild Trout Conference, which is coming up. And Nate's been hitting that up for the past couple of years, and I think there's an upcoming in April. Yeah, April sixth is the fourteenth uh, annual Native and Wild Trout Conference, and uh, that's a uh, that's going to be a Thursday, and it's going to cover everything native and wild trout in Arizona. I, I should say Arizona and New Mexico. So we get we invite biologists from Game and Fish Department, Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, from both Arizona and New Mexico, and they kind of speak to give an update on Apache trout, Gila trout, some maybe upcoming projects, um, you know, and maybe any uh, topics that you know are pressing for that year. But uh, yeah, April sixth, put that on your calendars. Uh, we provide lunch and dinner, and it'll be uh, it'll be a good year. This is the first time in two years we're doing it in person again. Mm-hmm. You know, we went virtual just for re- uh, for pandemic reasons, but uh, yeah, in person again at the Game and Fish headquarters. It's a great opportunity to network with all the biologists and 
uh, department staff, force, you know, forest service comes. So, uh, yeah, I'll let, uh, I'll make sure to connect with Michael and the Arizona wildlife federation when we get closer to that yeah, date, for maybe sure. share and something on Instagram. Give me a link to information online as well. And I'll make sure that gets in the show notes. Great. All right. Let's see. What else are we going to talk about? Um, one thing that I'm kind of curious about, and this is for my own education. It's certainly not meant to put you on a, on the spot either, but, but I am curious about it. We've, we've mentioned native, uh, wild trout several times now. And I, I, I guess it goes without saying, I can see that as a center point focus of a cold water conservation organization. But is there, is there a position taken on non-native species? Um, or, or, or is everything is great. We're getting anglers out there. We're getting people interested in the outdoors. Uh, but we have a, an emphasis on native and wild trout as in my opinion should be. Well, I guess, first of all, the mission of Trout Limited nationally, as well as here in Arizona is to protect and sustain native trout. Wild trout comes in second and then a distant third would be the non-natives. Okay. All right. All right. We figured that the Arizona Game and Fish Commission has enough authority in their mission to make sure there's enough fish out there for people to catch right, if they want right. to catch them. But there are very few people who like to say, hey, I like to catch a native and take it home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. Right. Yeah, and we like to follow or work with closely Arizona Game and Fish Department and their strategic management plan of all mm-hmm. our uh, rivers and lakes here in Arizona. And they have a five-year strategic plan uh, that kind of outlines their mission for uh, you know what type of fish is going to be in West Fork of Black River or, yeah. and, you know, we, of course we like to align ourselves, but with game and fish, but we also provide input in that strategic plan. Um, but like Jim was saying, uh, more of a focus on native trout, but mm-hmm. wild trout is a close second. You know, sure. it's as long as it's wild and reproducing in a river, um, we love to support that. And if there's a conservation project that can be done, uh, we're the first ones that want to be there yeah. taking part in it. So. Right. So, you know, and, and, I guess I, I'm going to ask this question because I'm sure every kid in the classroom um, with your with your uh, trout project has to ask this too. But what happens to those trout? The trout from the trout in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So what's happening is uh, for a number of years here in Arizona and now nationally in a lot of other states, Michael, are saying we're very concerned about the disease. Okay. Perhaps. Yeah. So what's happening is they're no longer permitted to take and put them in a private, even public waters or okay. a lake or a stream or a creek. So what we do is the teachers say, look, you know, this is like the circle of life, the Lion King. Yeah. One teacher will tell another teacher, don't let the kids name the fish. Oh, no. Right? Oh, no, I wish I hadn't asked. <laughs> so what happens is those 100 eggs that you're going to get, Michael, there are probably only be about 30% of them are going to survive anyway till the end of May. Okay. Right? So as they <clears throat> perhaps die off, the teachers then say, okay, so let's go ahead and dissect the fish. And let's, so they All turn right. it into a biology project. Okay. So there's a lot of different ways. So what happens, though, at the end of the school year, though, is that the teachers say to the class, okay, thanks, hope you've had a great year. And as they go off and out the door, the teachers then are asked very uh, quietly, confidentially, go over to the tank, take a net, dip the fish out, put them in a Ziploc bag, and let them die very quickly. Mm-hmm. Then at that point in time, they are then taken to rehab center. So they're given to birds and reptiles and oh, turtles and all right. whatever else to be yeah. used for the circle of life. Okay. Yeah, so. That works. So yeah. and a lot of kids will say, you know. <laughs> Making lemonade, so to speak. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, so when kids ask, the teachers, they're very upfront. They okay. say, you know, they're going to be used 
defeat other right. some, somebody else okay. or something else. All right. No, I, I understand the reasoning behind it, of course. But yeah, that's that's a tricky tricky spot at the end of a of an interesting program, huh? Yeah, there's a lot of kids who've come up with all different kinds of angles the teachers could take oh, to <laughs> teach just one or two. But we oh, say no, no, no. Yeah, and it's and it's good because what happens is then the teacher says, "Look, you know, we made a promise. Yeah, we signed a paper, so they learn. You know, your word right is a lot. Yeah." There you so go. there's a lot of things other than trying the classroom. Sure. Just sure. learning about water is about that. And we have one school here in the northwest of uh, Metro Phoenix. Mm-hmm. The teacher has uh, a class, of, I think a fifth grade, fifth grade class. And they have 112 or 115 kids in the entire school between first grade and eighth grade. And what happens is the teacher has the fifth graders go down and get to the first and second graders they bring him in on Monday and they give him a tour of what's going, ha- what's happening within the tank. Mm-hmm. So they get public speaking. Oh, nice. As well. Nice. On Tuesday, the second row, they go down and they get the third and fourth graders. So what happens is all five days a week, there's somebody coming into the classroom and there's somebody who's telling them how the fish are doing. They check the pH level, they check the water temperature and all that. So they get some public speaking out of this as well. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a great example of the education work that you guys do. But I also I realize that uh, Trout Un- Unlimited is is a is a huge player uh, advocating uh, for these clean waters and in these rivers and streams. Can we talk a little bit about uh, the advocacy side of the work that you do? I'll let Nate take the lead on that. All right. Sure. And uh, yeah, thanks, Michael. And uh, Trout Unlimited, we're down at the state capitol and do fly-ins to D.C., but uh, focus on state and federal legislation, uh, you know, anything pro-conservation, water conservation, uh, and definitely anything anti-public lands or transfer public lands from federal to the state. That's something that uh, is kind of a core value of us for Trout Unlimited and really focused on keeping access open for hunters and anglers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something, unfortunately, we seem to battle every year at the state. Uh, Michael can attest to this. He's down there uh, testifying with me and yep. uncomfortable as that is standing in yep. front of a, uh, <laughs> committee of legislators it's, it's nice telling them why company when you're, when you are in that. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard saying, you know, you're wrong right. <laughs> to a bunch of people, but, uh, no, it's, it's something that's really important to hunters and anglers and it's not the most fun job, but it's a total necessary, totally necessary job. Um, so, you know, this year, for example, uh, Trout Unlimited will be down there with Arizona Wildlife Federation at the state capitol and uh, trying to pass any type of pro-conservation legislation that we can get introduced. And that can be something from as simple as a, a resolution that outlines how valuable public lands are to businesses and kind of the state as a whole um, to, you know, groundwater monitoring or groundwater conservation legislation, which might be a little harder to pass. But, uh, you know, regardless, having that presence down there at the Capitol, interfacing with those legislatures, legislators is extremely valuable. And then, I'll, you know, touch briefly on the federal level, you know, similar to AWF, you might have heard a few of these topics, but Trout Unlimited is really involved with the Grand Canyon Protection Act, uh, which is a, a piece of legislation designed to protect uh, about a million acres around the Grand Canyon region from uranium mining. And, you know, it's butts up right next to Lee's Ferry and it has some of the best mule deer habitat up in that region and turkey habitat. And it's just a, a sportsman's paradise, really. And we see uranium mining being a real threat in that region to, because of how arid it is and the small seeps and springs that we have up there can easily become uh, contaminated. 
but that's kind of a main focus of ours. You know, also Raw Wild Recovering America's Wildlife Act. I'm yeah. sure you've talked about this on that podcast. Fortunately, did not. Uh, died in Congress this year. I know. That was um, a bummer right at the end yeah, there. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, such important legislation. Um, fortunately, though, you know, we have a lot of very diehard conservationists that are not going to give up that easy. Um, well, it'll get introduced again this this coming year. And uh, the, the nice part is it's it's already done. It's already bipartisan. And uh, it's, it's ready to go. So we got to go through all of it again. But this time we can do it, you know. Hopefully yeah. a little easier. Well, Michael, what have you? What's your guys' plan? I know that the house has flipped this year. Is that uh, is that a concern, or what do you guys think with that? I, I wish I I wish I knew what to say on that. Um, honestly, the, the, it sounds like the only catching point is the pay for um, working out that pay for. I, I don't know that the house flipping is gonna is gonna have you know much impact on anything, but. Um, but yeah, if we, if we can get that one key element worked out and everybody happy with that, this is a done deal. You know, it's already widely agreed upon legislation. We know we need it. It's common sense. Um, you know, we just got to get that, that pay for worked out. Yeah. Yeah. And another piece of common sense legislation I'll mention is Good Samaritan legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a essentially a, a mining, I wouldn't even call it a mining reform bill, but it essentially allows, or I guess, a mining remediation bill. It allows groups like Trout Unlimited to go in and clean up abandoned mines all across the country. Uh, currently, if an organization like or a nonprofit like Trout Unlimited, anything outside of the APA, EPA really, were to take on a project like a mine cleanup or mine re- remediation, uh, you would then be solely 100% responsible for any sort of you know toxic metals that would leach out of that site mm-hmm. uh, for the indefinite future. And, you know, sometimes... Uh, you know, it's not possible to clean up 100% of a site, but if we can clean up 90%, you know, that's better than nothing. And yeah, so this absolutely. piece of legislation, the Good Samaritan legislation, uh, would essentially allow groups like Trout Unlimited who, you know, have the capacity, have the expertise to go in there and clean these mines up, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not to 100% because that would cost millions and millions of dollars, but maybe we can do 90, 90, 95% and, uh, you know, really start to bring back that watershed that is constantly uh, leaching hard toxic minerals into our our streams. So please go ahead. So Michael, let me give you kind of an example of what Nate was just talking about. So I rather old, but uh, back in 1968 in Northern Pennsylvania, there was a stream called the West branch of the Susquehanna, Mm -hmm. which was infected with the acid mine drainage. At that point in time, Trot Limited said, okay, we can go ahead and we put limestone and the headwaters and perhaps allow some of this to go away. Yeah. And as Nate just said, there was no good Samaritan act at that time, but there was a good Samaritan ideal Yeah. ideal at that point. So I can assure you that now about five to 10 years ago when I was back in my hometown, right? That water now is clear and they are now Pennsylvania fish commission is now stocking fish and people are fishing in that oh, water. That's awesome. I love yeah. those stories. Yeah. So even though without the act or legislation to protect the trial limit, trial limit said, well, if we just took try to trailer loads of limestone up there in the mm-hmm. headwaters eventually over time and it changed that river around. 
So do you, can you explain how that works? How, how does the limestone just leach out or does it balance? Or? I am no scientist. Nate right. probably is, but <laughs> my understanding is that the limestone is a base. Yeah. It counteracts the acid, which is in the acid mines. Okay. It comes out of the acid mine and that neutralizes it All to right. the point where the water turns from orange or like oh, orange wow. crushed soda yeah. to a clearer version. And guess what? Fish can start living in it and we can start drinking it. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that kind of. Yeah, so Clearfield, Center County is are the two places mm -hmm. where that took place, yeah. That's great. You know, I, I work so much in advocacy, and, you know, I, un I, I very much value the work that I do. Like Nate said, it's not always comfortable, but it's so important. And, you know, in, in the three short years I've been with Arizona Wildlife Federation, I've seen our impact, you know, individually as an organization with the help of, of Trout Unlimited and other groups, stop bad public land bills, stop bad wildlife bills. Um, and that's just in three years. I love to see that, but really, you know, only those paying very close attention see that, you know, it's, so I, I love stories like that, you know, where, you know, where you get a tangible, um, outcome, you know, that everybody can see. And Nate mentioned earlier about, we have 350 people now. Uh, probably about 10 years ago, we had probably maybe just a little over 100 people. Mm -hmm. we had, people are seeing the impact we're having, and now Nate has been so overwhelmed, we decided we ought to add some more staff <laughs> here in Arizona. So I'm going to let him talk about the benefits we're going to see here, hopefully, in the next six to nine months. Yeah, yeah I've been uh, running solo here for the past six years, which is a lot of fun because I get to wear a lot of different hats. So uh, legislative stuff like me and Mike were talking about, to project management, to engagement with the public and classrooms and chapters. But yeah, we're starting to expand here. So we are hiring a, a project manager for Arizona and a R3 coordinator. So uh, the project manager, it would be based in Arizona, uh, ideally Eastern Arizona, that's where most of our cold water is, and would interface with Game and Fish Forest Service and essentially manage restoration projects. So, uh, and I'll put a I'll put it out there that this job is open. So if you're interested, uh, you can visit uh, tu.org slash careers and apply. Uh, it's going to be open for another month or so. We'll be taking applicants. Uh, same thing, the R3 position, not yet posted, but it's coming in the next month or so. If that's mm -hmm. something that's up your alley, engaging with the public, getting people fishing, uh, teaching youth about fish, trout in the classroom, kind of all the great programs that TU does, uh, that's an opportunity we'll have coming down the pipeline shortly. Yeah. And Nate, would you get, kind of give an explanation of what R3 stands for? Recruit? Oh, you're going to put me on. Recruit, reactivate, and retention of anglers. Got it. Yep. Got it. <laughs> right. Good yeah, job. Yeah, we've got, uh, you know, if, if folks are interested and you haven't listened to it already, I don't remember what sh number show it was, but it was back in the very early days. Um, I think the single digits, we have a whole episode on R3. So go back and listen to that. Yeah, that was with the Turkey Federation, right? Yep, Turkey Federation, the Arizona Game of Fish. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's such so it's such a great program, such a great concept. But uh, this R three position is uh, shared with Game and Fish Department, and it'd be the first of its kind. You know, uh, like National Wild Turkey Federation, I think Mule Deer Foundation, they've done similar uh, partnerships. But as far as a fishing con or fishing R three, this will be a first of its kind. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, nationwide first of its kind. Yeah, so Nate and I are excited about having this, but the folks at Arizona Game and Fish are even more excited than what we are because, as Nate just said, this will be the first one. So we look to be the role model, if you will, right. and roll it out across the two nation as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, they sound like fantastic jobs, and if I, if I didn't value my <laughs> position so much, I would be jumping on that, especially if I could live out in eastern Arizona. 
uh, amongst all that wonderful wilderness and all those cold water fisheries. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I, Nate, um, I know that you've done a lot of other things. Uh, like I remember Scott, you know, when we were like driving over Tonto Creek talking about you sampling or doing water quality testing down there. And I know you've been on a lot of the, uh, you know, backpacking Gila trout and streams. I realize that's an Arizona game and fish uh, department program, but you want to, you want to speak to a little bit of that kind of stuff? Yeah. And that's kind of uh, one of the benefits of being the Owen state staffers. I get to do all those fun projects. So what Michael's talking about is uh, we've done a, uh, nomination process with Arizona Department of Environmental Quality called an OAW, Outstanding Arizona Water, and that's a, a state designation that protects uh, streams that you know reach a certain uh, criteria of mm-hmm. you know water parameters for quality. And you know to nominate a stream, you essentially have to collect two years of data over four mm-hmm. seasons, so essentially eight samples of uh, of streams and submit that. Mm-hmm. And if uh, you know all your pr- if uh, the water doesn't exceed any parameters, you know, for, you know, high concentrations of copper or heavy metals, whatever it may be, then it's, uh, gets this state protection. So that's been a big priority of Trout Unlimited is designating outstanding Arizona waters in Arizona. Yeah. Current, uh, currently we are in the, uh, review process for a few streams, so I won't drop their names yet, but yeah. all streams that hold native trout in there and that, you know, would really benefit from a you know, state protection designation. Uh, some, uh, other fun stuff I got to do with Scott. When I first started a couple, this is 20, the end of 2016, uh, we had a big initiative for temperature loggers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of found that Game and Fish Department, the Forest Service, they just kind of lack the capacity like a lot of agencies do to sure. get out, physically place a temperature logger in a stream, retrieve it, you know, manage it, that sort of thing. So it was a perfect fit for TU and someone like me to hike around the state, place these monitors and kind of manage them. Yeah. So... Over the course of a couple years, we've placed well over 80 temperature loggers, mm-hmm. have been able to uh, seasonally collect that data, submit it to the Forest Service and Game and Fish Department, and upload it to a national database called Norwest. Yeah. And what's great about this temperatures or temperature data is anyone has access to it. So that be either pre or post restoration work, pre or post uh, Forest Service you know, prescribed burns, any sort of, you know, grassland, wet meadow treatment, that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. it's been able to benefit a lot of mm-hmm. groups and it's something that for a couple of years we focus really heavily on. Yeah. Um, that outstanding waters designation, uh, that, that, it, that doesn't just have to come with pristine mountain streams full of native fish. Um, you know, that guy can go to a, a drinking water source for a community. Um, there's a lot of different waters that can can have that designation. And as, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, though, but once once it has that designation, that water has to be monitored continually. Right. Yep, that's right. It's then in the ADEQ's budget monitoring budget and um, it can't exceed those you know parameters that's already been set. So and well, let me back up. Uh, what's nice about this program is. Uh, it allows for 90 days of exceedance mm-hmm. from these water quality parameters. And so what that's built in there for is, you know, if we're doing restoration work, if, you know, we're maybe replacing a road culvert where it is going to disrupt that ecosystem, but just for a short time, it still, it doesn't limit us from doing restoration work. Gotcha. You know, a lot of times I think people are a little nervous with any type of government regulation that sure. it then limits rest, mm-hmm. uh, conservation work. But uh, that's not the case with this program. Gotcha. Um, just because it is, a, a an interest of mine, um, can we talk a little bit more about native fishes, native trout? 
and uh, maybe maybe the na- national's involvement with with those programs. Sure. Yeah. So here in Arizona, we have two native trout: the Apache and the Gila trout. And the Apache trout is only found in Arizona. Yeah, which Gila is tr- just wonderful, I think. Yeah, this yeah. is incredible. And Gila trout is found in Arizona and New Mexico, so still a pretty f- uh, small footprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet, t- Trout Unlimited National, our science staff, are work closely with Game and Fish Department, writing monitoring plans, implementation plans for the Apache trout. And just recently, uh, the Apache trout has been recommended for delisting mm-hmm. as a threatened species. So that's a big accomplishment. And um, you know, TU, of course, can't take all the credit it's uh working with great partners like the forest service game and fish uh fish and wildlife service white mountain apache tribe yep uh it's been over a decade what do you say jim a decade of constant implementation of these trout unlimited yep. monitoring plans and yep exactly it's been i think almost 50 years since the delisting or the listing of, of the of the apache trout yeah and uh, the objective and goals has always been to get them delisted. Now, a lot of people say, well, there's not enough of them at this point. Well, there's typically the process of everybody gets their input in and somebody has to be the judge and jury. And yeah. that's done by the federal folks. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah they are. I mean, I, I don't want to say they're a delicate species because they're quite a durable species, really. But the ecosystem, the, the, they're in such a small area and and wildfires can be so devastating and prevalent uh in in our state uh it is scary and i can see how people would 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 you know wonder uh you know about delisting but um i I feel like the delisting of any species should be something that's celebrated um and it's not like people are going to stop looking or watching we're not taking our foot off the gas that's for sure we still have projects coming down the pipeline for apache trout restoration work um continued partnership with white mountain apache tribe and fish and wildlife service so yeah yeah, it's not exactly to michael's point a wildfire could come through this march even right wildfire Mm -hmm. season is happening so much earlier uh and could come through and knock out a few streams and that one thing i do want to touch on and something that we're working towards and hopefully with this new project manager we'll have more increased capacity to do is create more of a meta population for apache trout uh-huh. you know a lot of times what we see on the landscape now is apache trout are confined to headwater streams and then typically there's a fish barrier right above the main stem mm-hmm. and we have you know non-natives or, or wild trout down in the main stem Ideally, what we can, or the goal that we're working towards in a meta population is having that connectivity of an ecosystem. So removing those fish barriers, having Apache trout, or giving them the ability to, you know, come out of one watershed, get into a main stem, move around, and find themselves in another watershed. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. how it was historically. You know, all the different lineages of Apache trout had the ability to mix genetics that way. And it just makes for a healthier ecosystem. So that's the goal we're working towards. And and the landscape up in the, uh, you know, White Mountains, uh, we'll give this a, that ability. It's yeah. just going to take time. Yeah. One thing that I'm also very excited about, um, and quite honestly, I don't know enough about it, just enough to get myself in trouble here, but the the put and take stocking program the Game and Fish Department is doing with Gila trout, um, I see so much potential there. Uh, you know, you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. You're, you're, you're meeting angler demand, but you're doing it with a native species. So you're removing an exotic in one sense and, and, and you know, re- replacing that same fishery with a native that people can utilize and and develop an interest in because they have this hands-on tangible connection to. Yeah, that's something that we've supported from the get-go. Um, Game of Fish classifies those streams as a recreational mm-hmm. Gila trout stream versus a recovery. 
Um, you know, the, the recovery streams, some of them you can't fish for Gila trout in. Some right. you can. But yeah, those recreational streams like the East Verde, mm-hmm. uh, those Gila trout are, you know, well over 12 inches. And yeah, they're, they're really fish. pretty fish. And yeah, what a great way to connect people to native trout. Because sometimes with the public, we find that native trout get a bad rap, right? They're right. small. Uh, you know, not that fun to fight, that sort of thing. But having these bigger fish, it's starting to really give a good name for what these uh, fish could become. You right. know, if they're not confined to a headwater stream and they have the ability to move into a main stem, bigger water, warmer water, better food source, they are going to grow over that 12-inch yeah. mark. So, yeah. And back in 2010, as Nate knows, uh, we started the first annual Arizona Native Wild Trout Conference. And at that point in time, we had 17 different organizations or agencies and we had 52 people in a double-wide trailer mm-hmm. at Arizona Game and Fish. Two years ago, three years ago, I guess, when we had our last in-person event before the COVID pandemic, we had uh, 57 different organizations and agencies there. Oh, wow. Had over 150 people. Wow. So the thought was back in 2010, Michael, this, we want to be able to get to a point where at some point in somebody's lifetime, We'd be able to have Apache and Gila trout only stocked in Arizona. Oh, see, I didn't want to say that, um, but but the idea of that is very exciting. Yeah, so that was the idea back at the time, and here now we're all. Yeah. So now at least it's a start, right? To say, okay, if you want to catch a Gila trout, you can catch it and take it Mm -hmm. home. Most people are probably going to catch a Gila trout and probably put it back. Yeah. Because yeah. you can come back next time and catch it again. Maybe it's going to be bigger. Hopefully right. it's going to be bigger. You know, I, I don't want to paint the wrong picture here either. I absolutely love big brown trout and rainbows yeah. um, and, and cutthroats and all of it. Uh, but I also am painfully aware um, of what we have done to southwestern fisheries. Uh, some of the most uniquely evolved fishes in the world. Um, we've all but blinked them out of existence in a lot of places. Um, so any work we can do in restoring native fishes, I'm an absolute fan of. Yeah, we are too. But we, you know, we still support those brown trout fisheries like Chevlon Creek oh, and yeah. some iconic ones, heck right? Yeah. We can't, uh, I can't lie that I like going down there and casting big oh, streamers man. at those guys. So, um, but to Jim's point, there's just something about uh, connection to the landscape landscape when i'm catching a native trout mm-hmm. that that lineage has been there for over ten thousand years like what an incredible experience yeah, not yeah, only is it part of that landscape it isn't and, and not mm-hmm. to talk down on wild trout but it's just a little different it almost feels a little fabricated catching a species that wasn't meant to be there or didn't come from that place and now i'm catching it but yeah. it's just something special about a uh, native sure. trout yeah. yeah i would agree with that you know you i, I don't know I, I love it all so much um <laughs> But yeah, uh, you know, an eight inch uh, Apache holds the same value to me as a, as a 20 inch brown, you know, uh, but no, get me wrong. I love that 20 inch brown too. Oh yeah. But, yeah, we uh, do too. Hey, and being born and raised in North Central Pennsylvania, if you got a brook trout that was over six inches, you got a trophy. <laughs> right, right. But again, you knew if you want to go for brook trout, you went that stream or this, mm-hmm. this, this creek. If you want to go for rainbows or yeah. browns. It may be wild. You went to these right. creeks or rivers, and if you want to go catch a bigger fish that was a stocked fish, then yeah. you went to these rivers and creeks. Yeah, you know, so I agree. You, I, I feel like we have room for it all. But. Just like going, picking your golf course, right? Do you want water or no water? Yeah. Right? Do you want a lot of sand traps or no sand traps? Do you want a desert or do you want the old traditional tree line? You know, you just same thing you can do when you go decide to go fishing. Right. Yeah. 
Well, you know, uh, we're lucky at the Arizona Wildlife Federation to have a number of, of extremely valuable affiliates that we're very close to and work very close to. Um, and then that's why I, I try to throw in these episodes highlighting the work that, that our affiliates do, you know. And I, uh, But Trout Unlimited, we work very closely together on lots of things. And I think the... I think the ties even go farther than that and beyond my my time here. I think uh, Brad Powell, our past president, he came from Trout Unlimited. Is that correct? He did. Yes, I learned a lot from Brad Powell. Yeah, yeah. Brad. Brad's... I think he had a fourteen career, fourteen year career with Trout Unlimited. Yeah, I, wow. I learned a lot from Brad Powell when I made a number of trips with him to Washington D.C. to talk right. about advocacy issues, and here also in Arizona. So yeah, he uh, he trained a lot of people. Hey, on those DC trips, this is totally selfish of me, but we're, we're, we're looking at a DC trip coming up here soon. And I'd like to take an extra day to either go chase some brookies or do you know when the shad are running up the Delaware? Did you guys ever do any, any side trips? I've not on done DC any visits? shad, but I can, we'll, we'll connect you with the people who can. Awesome. I would appreciate shad that. Fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think Scott, um, our executive director, he came from Trout Unlimited as well, didn't he? Yeah, Scott and I started a week apart uh, back in 2016, and he came under, I think, a, a fellowship program. He might have talked about yeah. that as his kind of second career. But yeah, he was a Trout Unlimited employee for a couple years before branching off to AWF. But yeah, like Michael said, we work so closely together, and it's so nice to have a partner um, working on these same concepts and has the capacity to work on these same uh, legislative conservation issues because right. it can get lonely up there <laughs> down at the state capitol right. or lonely in D.C. You know, I'll tell you, Michael, Brad Powell and I have talked many, many times over the past five, mm-hmm. six years that the best two hires, we, some of the best two hires we ever made were Nate and Scott. Yeah, I believe it. Within Trout Limited, so yeah. I believe it. Yep. Well, uh, we really do very much appreciate uh, this partnership and working together. Uh, it's, it's very valuable. And, uh, and Jim, I want to thank you for hosting us at your home. You're welcome. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It's we l- quiet here typically, except for the phone ring a little bit ago. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Uh, yeah, this is nothing like my home. My home is chaos, <laughs> just absolute chaos all the time. But someday, someday we'll get yep. here. I'm sure. I don't know. My wife is pretty chaotic even without the kids. So I don't know if we'll ever make <laughs> it, but, uh, but it's nice. It's, it's very pleasant yep. here. Um, what do we leave out? Do we leave out anything important that you want to plug in? I, I, ooh, I might want to mention Camelot the Capital because you guys will be there as well. Yeah, one thing I'm, I'm looking here at my notes, uh, I wanted to mention kind of the sportsman's voice on climate. Okay. And that's something here that we feel, we feel it. We feel climate change coming or warming climate or mega drought, whatever you Absolutely. want to label it as. But uh, sportsmen, we're on the front lines seeing the changes to our landscape, whether that's a a perennial stream that's now going intermittent or maybe even ephemeral, you know, roads that you couldn't, you know, drive on because it had three feet of snow. Now you're driving back in late February. Um, so I think sportsmen are really the best voice, you know, to your state legislature, to your congressional member of we're seeing changes to the landscape and, you know, something needs to be done about it because it's uh, not good for habitat and wildlife or the future, you know, yeah. doesn't look as good for habitat and wildlife as it could be. No. And, you know, that's not just, you know, climate. There's lots of factors. There's, you know, forest, you know, forest thinning, forest restoration work that needs to be done extensively. But uh, it's definitely all compounded by our warming climate. And so at Trout Unlimited, we really feel that because we're focused on cold streams, right? So yep, it's uh, exactly. something that's at the forefront of our minds all the time when we're talking to members sure. or, or we're doing conservation projects. Everything's about temperature. What's mm-hmm. the temperature of that stream? How much shade can we get on it? How much, how deeper can we get the, the stream? That sort of thing. 
When we started, uh, Michael, back in 2010, mentioned earlier about the Arizona Native Wild Trout Conference. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris Wood, who's our CEO and president of Trout Limited, I remember meeting him in a, in a, for a meeting in Portland, Maine, and we were in the lobby talking, and he said, you know, Jim, you're absolutely right. The Gila Apache trout are at a point where they have got to be saved, and you all in Arizona can do that. And I said, yes, because we've got to get a head start on it mm -hmm. because of the climate change. Yeah. He said, you know, if there's going to be any place that's going to get warmer first, <laughs> yeah. is Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> and he's right. So again, for as Nada just said, you know, we have to think about, you know, the temperature. Once it gets to 70 degrees, trout start to die off. Right. Yeah. So how and do we keep that? And when you think about Lee's Ferry here in Arizona, oh, that's a mess. The water temperature mm -hmm. is raising. Yeah, we did another every week. episode with uh, Jim Strogan, yeah. and Jim educated uh, educated us on the issues at Lee's Ferry. It's it's shocking. Yeah, it is. But, yeah, and you know the short term and long term goals. Short term, I would say. Uh, is emphasis on forest restoration. Yeah, build resiliency. Yeah, build resiliency into the ecosystem. Uh, yeah. Michael might have talked about this already, but we've had, you know, just 100 years of maybe just a misunderstanding of what mm -hmm. forest management means. You know, we, I think we suppressed fire, or we suppressed wildfire for many, many decades when really fire needs to be a natural part of the ecosystem, that yeah. sort of thing. So reintroducing fire, doing prescribed burns, doing thinning, that's all necessary to you know, help combat, combat global warming and honestly the catastrophic wildfires mm -hmm. that we're going to see, right? We want to try to, you know, tamp those down to a low intensity burn. We don't want to see another rodeo cheddar sky fire. Yeah. It's it. Well, I live in that now. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Uh, my, my yard, I have an acre lot, but I'm on kind of a South, uh, West Southwest facing hillside. And, um, you know, it is uh, how they, they say, what, dog hair thicket. Um, mm. It's just packed, you know, ponderosas. Uh, and that's completely unnatural. That should not exist on, on that slope. And, of course, I'm since I'm a nerd about all this, I'm working hard to thin it and, you know, create a healthy little ecosystem in my yard. But um, it's interesting because you, you can see those stumps are still there from the initial cutting of that forest. And, and those stumps tell you what it looked like before. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, shoot, I probably got hundred trees in my front yard and there should be maybe five, you know? Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm working on that, but, uh, it is, it's, you know, you, when you say sportsmen are, are on the front line, you're right on a couple levels, especially here in the Southwest. Cause here in the Southwest, we get this, amplified view of what a changing climate is i mean the, the world is watching right now you know as, as our lake levels drop and, and the the results of that are going to be could be potentially catastrophic um you know throughout the west people are seeing that uh, fire season is is getting earlier and, and fires are getting more severe and you know we're having to close down trout streams in the summer months so so we're past that point of like hey is this a real thing is this happening um you know now we see it you know we see it in real time in, in a single lifetime so, yeah. yeah. And that's why I want to mention kind of short term goals because I know it's overwhelming to think of, you know, altering climate change, right? It's, and then it's just so overwhelming that I don't know, I think people want to stick their head in the sand. So, yeah. but focusing more on the micro level of forest thinning, forest restoration work, that's what we've kind of really turned our sights at. And, and uh, here in Arizona, mm -hmm. Uh, really trying to work hard with the Forest Service and Game and Fish. Now that we've received a lot more funding from uh, 
the Bureau of Reclamation, some of the IRA bills that have passed in Congress, it's now becoming a reality that we have the millions and millions of dollars that it's going to take to to thin our force. But now it just takes the capacity of people on the ground, people like Trout Unlimited that can implement and manage those projects. Yeah. And Trout Unlimited has been involved in that process here, uh, Michael, in the past five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been two or three different people who've been working with Salt River Project, SRP, mm-hmm. and other people um, as Nate said, you know, let's clear out some of the, the forest, thin them out, so there's an opportunity for more right. more water to penetrate into the ground and be into yeah. the aquifer. Yeah, I, I heard an interesting statistic that I had, I did not know, and it really surprised me. But these thick, dense ponderosa forests, a quantifiable amount of snowpack gets caught up in the canopy and evaporates off before it ever reaches mm. the ground. And I just, I kind of blew my mind that that, that would be an issue, but uh, it's measurable apparently. Yeah. You know, I, I think it depends on the ecosystem, of course, but what, roughly 40 ponderosa, ponderosa pine trees per acre. And now we're seeing acres with 800, 1,000 ponderosa pine trees on it. So yeah, that canopy is so dense and thick that that snow never even has a chance to, to get to the ground and soak into the watershed. Interesting. That's a whole other podcast, though. Whole other yeah, that is. That's way uh, above my level. So Yeah, Nathan, so, thanks, though, for bringing that up because that is such a vitally important uh, topic that, that you know all conservation organizations are, are thinking about and, and how to tackle and how to best, how to best combat through, through management of our forests and waterways. Yeah, and we want to start talking about it and... Uh, working with groups because you know there's a negative connotation with it but we hope if get out here and find pragmatic ways that works for everyone we want to work with logging companies we want to work with grazers we want to work with you know ohv and not closing down areas so it's all about multi-use of the landscape that's one thing that we definitely uh strive to promote is you know our federal lands aren't just for one interest they're for the multi-use of the american people they absolutely are they belong to all of us and you know, that, that's why I'm such a big fan of Trout Unlimited, that, that pragmatic approach. I think, it, yeah. I think that's the best way forward. Yeah, conservation is not just for us. It's for everybody. Right. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you again, Jim, for hosting thank us. Nate, thanks. thanks for being yeah, here. Thank you, Michael. I enjoyed talking with both of you. It's been great. Thanks for the invitation to share a little bit about Trout Unlimited here, and especially in Arizona, what, what's going on behind the scenes. All right. All right, fellas. We'll talk soon. Yep. Keep up the good work. Well, obviously, Jim and Nate are both a couple dedicated and hardworking conservationists, and I want to thank them once again for coming on the show and telling us all about the great work that Trout Unlimited does, uh, not only in Arizona, but across our nation. So thanks to those guys. Uh, Let's see. Don't forget this show is made possible by the Arizona Wildlife Federation, and the Arizona Wildlife Federation is 100 years old this year. That is 100 years of working on wildlife issues, public land issues, habitat issues, and access to all of it. And if you would like to be a supporter of the Arizona Wildlife Federation and a supporter of that kind of work, you can do so by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Also, by becoming a supporter, you're going to get our quarterly magazine. It's a great magazine, and I know you will enjoy it. So uh, this new year coming up, we have a lot of great shows and a lot of great guests, so I, will ho- I hope that you will continue uh, checking in and listening uh, every other Monday, that's every other week uh, throughout the, this new year. And please don't hesitate to reach out to me with your suggestions for 
guests, for topics, or just your comments. I appreciate all of them. I really love that communication. You can do that at podcast at azwildlife.org. That goes directly to me. And uh, with that, uh, I hope you're enjoying your new year. I hope you're getting out more. It's probably most of the listeners to this podcast, I would assume, if they are making resolutions, they are going to be to get out in the field more. And I hope those are coming true for you already. We will see you again in two weeks. Thanks for listening.